Hi, Momix fans. Pat here. Before we start, I wanted to give our usual language and spoiler warning. This episode will contain some strong language and spoilers for Meet the Parents, but I also wanted to let you know that there will be some audio differences between our usual episodes here because we recorded this one over Zoom and had to do audio changes on the fly. We appreciate you listening anyways, and we hope that you enjoy the show regardless. All right, here we go. Marissa, how's your four hundred one k? Is it good? It's actually not very good. <laughs> yeah, do you have a healthy portfolio? Um, I would say as healthy as it could get. How about how about woodworking? You <laughs> oh, I'm actually really good at woodworking. I went to a woodworking seminar a few years ago. Really, that you know, Jesus become... was a carpenter. Yeah, I did know that. <laughs> and you're in great company. All right, so that's the intro for this. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get this show on the road, shall we? Welcome to Movie Mixology. We are your hosts. My name is Pat. I'm Marissa. And this is the podcast where we watch a film and then take a drink from or inspired by said film. And we enjoy both very, very greatly. And this evening, we're joined by a very special guest. Uh, one of the first earliest fans of our show who wrote in and a good friend of mine, please welcome Ashley Thompson. Hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> what welcome applause. Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Yeah. So thank you for joining us on the show to talk about meet the parents, uh, because that is what we are watching and the drink featured is the tom collins um so before we get into the film and the drink featured in it you know we ask a couple of questions of our guests every time they come on the show um especially the first time and they are the following you ready one why do you like movies what's what's your deal with them yeah my deal (laughs) um i'm just like the kind of person that likes the escapism so um i mean for me it's like comedies are my go-to and then like usually anything kind of sci-fi fantasy comic book like those are all good with me um i don't really do like the horror kind of stuff that gives me nightmares so that's not an escape like real life is scary so i (laughs) I stick to the fun stuff (laughs) That's awesome. I, I have kind of a similar view as you. I, I'll watch scary movies once and I like watching more dramatic movies, but it's kind of like I'll watch it once, but I'd rather, much rather watch comedies or superhero movies over and over again as sort of like a comfort or escape. That's awesome. What, so what's your um, favorite superhero movie? Um, I mean, the Batman ones are good, but they are dark, especially like in the past 10 years, they've been dark. Um, I, the Guardians of the Galaxy, I'd probably have to say just because they have the best soundtrack. Uh, I did nice. go during this quarantine time and see Wonder Woman 1984 um, just to get out of the house. 
not the best, but we can talk about that a different time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're in agreement with you. The first one was really good. But yeah. I was sad about the second one. A little unfortunate. All right. So our second question for you is when you do sit down to watch a movie, what's your go-to drink? It could be with alcohol. It can be without alcohol too. Just whatever you like to drink when you're watching movies. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a big like theater goer. I really like being in a movie theater. So I like cherry Coke with my popcorn. That's, that's my go-to. That's a good choice. Man. Now I just want soda and popcorn with our movies because... <laughs> It's tough. The Costco popcorn just isn't the same. That is very true. Well, all right. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Tom Collins and what is in one, because, you know, I feel like this is a very popular drink, but I've never like ordered one in, in public or really had one. So this was kind of a learning experience. I don't know about you, Marissa and Ashley, but um I thought it was pretty easy to make, and I'm surprised that it's not more popular with how easy it is to just throw together. So for those of you listening who have never made one, you essentially take a couple ounces of gin. We use Gordon's and some lemon juice and stir it in a cup filled with ice. Um, You can use sweet and sour mix, or you can use lemon juice and simple syrup, which kind of achieves the same effect and you mix all that in a cup with ice top with club soda and then you add you know an optional garnish of lemon and the cherry and you got yourself a pretty easy alcoholic soda here yeah it's pretty tasty ashley have you ever made these before yeah so i am a tom collins fan um and the cheat, if you guys are lazy, skip like the lemon, the simple syrup, all that, and just put lemonade, gin, and top it with your uh, fizzy soda. So <laughs> that's a good idea. It already tastes a lot like lemonade, mm-hmm. so I feel like <laughs> that's a that's a great idea. Yeah, and I don't know. I I could totally see myself, you know, having like three or four of these. <laughs> yeah well and i yeah, they go pretty quickly yeah they're pretty actually low in alcohol depending on how you do your gin but they're you know a refreshing summer treat <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think the way that this drink appears in the movie too is pretty funny because i had kind of forgotten it'd been a while since i've seen this movie it's one of my favorite comedies but i hadn't seen it in a couple of years and i forgot that robert de niro actually his character jack uses it as kind of an excuse to get out of the house. He's like, oh, we ran out of the drink mix. And uh, he obviously wants to go do stuff without anyone knowing. But then um, Pam set, uses that as an opportunity to say, oh, you know, my boyfriend, I want him to bond with my dad. So I'll send him yeah. a <laughs> And it kind of foils Jack's plan. Let's get into it. The three things that we have to discuss about Meet the Parents. Uh, it's time for Triple Shot. Cool. So, Ashley, you're the guest. You have to go first. Okay. So, um, my first one, um, something that I always like think about when I think about this movie, and it had been a while since I had watched this, like probably ten years since the last time I watched it, and the movie 
obviously is over 20 years old now, but I think it's still probably the best video encapsulation of the airport experience when you're flying economy. So many good airport scenes, like from the very beginning to like the end where he tries to leave, um, just the whole unpleasantness of the world of travel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love, especially the end when, um, she's like, sir, your role will be called shortly. And there's <laughs> no one else at the gate. <laughs> so good. So yeah. relatable. We've all been there. Um, and even the, the TSA stuff at the beginning, it's hard to believe this movie came out before mm -hmm. because man, <laughs> those uh they, they it seems like tsa has always been just uh, a stickler for the rules it looks like yeah that's such a great point ashley because i i love how they incorporate all that humor and like physical comedy at the airport even until the very end when jack comes in and, and does like his final interrogation <laughs> i think that uh, it's like the airport is definitely a pivotal part of this movie because it all starts too. all the bad stuff starts because they lose his luggage. And so everything kind of goes downhill from there. Yeah. Yeah. Airports uh, not getting a good name in this film. <laughs> yeah. Um, Marissa, what is your first shot? So I also kind of like, I've, I think there are like a ton of jokes that we could talk about in this movie that, you know, are just super memorable, especially, you know, watching it again, because like you, Ashley, it's been a while since I've seen it, but there are certain things that always stuck out to me, even when I watched it years ago. And um, I think this movie does a really good job of incorporating like the family pet humor, you know, like not a lot of comedies nowadays will incorporate family pets like cats and dogs running wild uh, in movies anymore, because it's just not like, a, I don't know, a source of comedy as much. Uh, I think New Girl does it sometimes with the Ferguson cat character, but it's not really that common in comedic movies. But this movie has like a huge joke centered around the cat Mr. and Jinx. Mr. Jinx losing the cat. And it kind of reminds me of like Christmas Vacation when there's like jokes about the cat getting into the Christmas tree and causing havoc. And but this one is like the cat starts causing havoc, but then, you know, Greg kind of becomes part of the havoc by, you know, using that to try to impress his father-in-law. It just kind of shows like the pressure he's under, the things he's willing to do. But I don't know. I think that that's a great example of uh, the physical comedy that this movie uses the family pet kind of comedic. Uh, I don't know if it's a trope because it was used a lot, I want to say, in like in 80s and 90s family comedy well comedy centered around a family not necessarily comedies that are for family audiences yeah completely agree um especially because you know now that's an excellent point that they don't really use animals for comedic effect anymore um now it's like if you have an animal in a movie like there's 90 percent chance it's going to be dead and it's going to be tragic like, you know, like now all they're doing is making like dogs purpose and shit like that instead of actually making, you know, animals fun. The closest you can get is Tom and Jerry <laughs> yeah. on HBO Max. Oh, man. Today. Yeah, I think that there was today, there was like um, you were saying kind of in the late 90s and like a pet thing going on. Because remember the whole Beethoven 
movie series was based yeah. on that. And then Air Bud. Yes, Air Bud. All um I feel like there was one about dog sledding. Um but I will say one exception that you guys oh. already discussed on the show in game night. They had that little white dog. <laughs> yes, you're so that's true. so true. I think that's one of my favorite that's why it's one of my favorite comedies of the last couple of years because <laughs> they aren't afraid to go back to like old sources of comedy and and kind of bring it back. Yeah. That's true. I'd be it'd That be dog good. scene is hilarious. That's we laugh should, out we loud. Should all make like a list. Of, <laughs> yeah, we should all make like a list of modern day good usages of good some good pet humor. Yeah. I well, I can't even believe that this movie is tw- almost 21 years old, I guess, but Yeah. Um well, I guess the trilogy went into like I think the last one was made in like 2008 or something. Little Fockers, yeah. I think it came out <laughs> in uh, in 2010, but I never saw it. I saw it. I mean, it's not as good as the first two, obviously, but I thought it was funny for what it was. But it was not nearly as good. <laughs> well, my first shot is kind of along the lines of where you guys were going uh, <laughs> with this movie, and I, I think it. It's it's so funny how the slapstick bits in this movie have all aged like really well um, because they're really simple on paper and then in execution, like everybody just commits to the bit, you know, like any good slapstick comedy. And I I really really do miss like the prevalence of all of those types of, of comedies, especially from the early and mid two thousands. You know, like Anchorman and and uh, Step Brothers and and you know Apatowian comedies from that time. We've Marissa and I talked about those before on the show, but I mean, this movie is kind of like doing something similar, but I don't know. It almost feels like wittier and like less dumb. It feels like you kind of have to be like appreciative of of how the slapstick comedy is is performed. It's like an art form almost, and. Um, some of the ones that I wrote down, just my favorite bits, um, using the kids to propose at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Very funny, uh, especially because they're like not arranged in the correct yeah. order. And he has to kind of like you know, get them to, to try and move. Um, everything uh, with the whole um, him trying to quick kick smoking and every time he like uses nicorette gum he's like he uses it every time like jack aggravates him um and it's just like it's like he's abusing how much nicorette gum he's chewing yeah they keep panning to him in different places like sitting on top of the couch or sitting on the toilet like stressed out um ashley you already taught touched on the red eye to chicago just everything about that start to finish is great um the the (laughs) We'll probably get into this later, but I just want to touch on uh, the amazing volleyball sequence, uh, which is straight out of like an 80s movie, but just so much, so much funnier because of all the things that could possibly go wrong for Greg, they do, even down to what he's wearing, which is like a Speedo, basically. Um, So, yeah, that that I think is is great. Oh, and also the car chase. My favorite is the car chase. Cause it's not really a chase. It's just like, they're, they're going to be racing. And then every time they like floor it, they get like a block in and then it's a red light. 
And anybody who's ever driven through any small town will tell you that's exactly what happens. You can't drive fast at all. The lights change and you're just like stuck from light to light all the time. Super good. I feel like that's a great scene too, showing the like competition between Greg and Jack. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Very, very like mind game thing with, uh, with your father-in-law. I totally, totally understand that me and my (laughs) father-in-law do that all the time, except with, you know, PlayStation. (laughs) (laughs) Guys have PlayStation offs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, that's it for my shot. Unless you guys had anything other, other slapstick bits you wanted to touch on. Um, I will say, like you said, how they commit. I think that's like a big part of what makes this movie so funny, even on a repeat watch and in the volleyball scene, like one of my favorite extra little touches is how after you know she gets hit and she comes up and there's already like blood pouring out the mom goes jumping into the pool in her clothes like as if that's gonna <laughs> yeah. help anything <laughs> but yeah they commit oh my gosh that's so hilarious I, I actually noticed that I think for the first time this watch watch because I was like looking I guess beyond the main commotion and I saw that kind of out of the corner of the screen I was like oh my gosh I never noticed that she jumped into the pool before oh yeah yeah, it's great. Everybody's, you know, firing on all cylinders. <clears throat> and that that's part of why I think uh, Meet the Fockers is, this might be a controversial take, but I actually think Meet the Fockers is even better than this one. Ooh. And partly because of that. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. We can we can talk about it off mic. Yeah. Time, I do love that one too. It's been a while <laughs> since I've seen it, so it'd be a good rewatch to, to compare the two. But yeah, it's, I think, because they have so many um, actors and comedians in this that are also talented. And I feel like, you know, even people who normally do drama are, are tend to be like really good comedians and vice versa. Cause they're really committed they're to so like down. the prolonged scene and what the emotional feel is, you know, so <laughs> 100%. it makes for a great cast. Yeah. All right. So uh, shot one in the books, everybody take a drink. All right, Ashley, why don't you uh, let your second shot rip? Um, Yeah, so I think for my second one, I want to touch on the male nurse thing. So, like, I feel like it's kind of ahead of its time. And, like, it's kind of a strange thing for a comedy to do to be, like, making people question gender roles. But, um, like, that's a huge part of the movie of how, like, he is people are constantly like assuming he's a doctor because he's male and then when they say you know if he says he's a nurse they're like well why wouldn't you be a doctor and kind of like this whole assumption that he should be a doctor because he's male versus like well that doesn't fit with my personal like goals and wanting to be more involved in the patient care and stuff like that so I like props to this movie because that's like definitely something that would be totally normal now and wouldn't like phase anyone. But I think for the time kind of making a little statement there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and something I noticed on this watch was how it is like played as a, uh, um, did, I don't even know what you'd want to call it. Like it's played as like a point of contention to the very, very bitter end. I mean, even in the final, like, interrogation sequence where jack is is inter- interrogating greg at the airport and he's like you know you 
you really wouldn't consider any other profession. It's like, well, he's like, okay, all right, all right. Like he has really got to like twist his arm to yeah. get him to like accept him. There's like this shame that other people feel around having, being related to a male nurse instead of being like, yeah, he really makes a difference in people's lives. Like, <laughs> so something. I think it's such a great point, Ashley, because like it, it is such a big part of the movie, like you guys were both saying, and it kind of reminds me of like it before when you'd get like uh, 80s romantic movies, it'd always be about two young teenagers and one of them was rich and one of them was poor. And it was about how one of the parents didn't approve because one kid was poor. But this is kind of like a fresh take on that sort of romantic story where they're fully grown adults coming, you know, to meet the parents. And now it's it's a, a matter of Greg's choice in his profession and wanting to do something that really like fits what he wants to do, like you said, and that's an awesome thing. But even with that and his personal choice, like he's being judged. And I think that, like you said, it's really cool of this movie to point that out and make it a constant source of like, yeah, you should really think about this and like putting so much judgment, especially on like your kid's significant other, or just in on gender roles in general. Yeah. I mean, I'll put it this way. The guy probably has to be doing well, at least, you know, to be able to afford a $1,000 plus flight, economy flight <laughs> back to Chicago from New York City. Like, I, this is 2000 huh? <laughs> yeah was, that that was pretty frightening i would have just stayed at a hotel overnight and paid yeah, for a flight uh-huh. the next day but he was desperate to get out of there can and, we really blame is him amtrak still around like yeah. Yeah. rent a car at that point <laughs> yeah seriously it's a good point <laughs> so he must be doing all right uh great point ashley yeah uh marissa what is your second shot Um, So, of course, I have to talk a little bit about Robert De Niro's performance. This wouldn't be a movie about Robert De Niro if I didn't talk about it. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) I think, like I was saying earlier, it's not just him. It's just uh, dramatic actors playing comedic roles. I think this works really well. Like him playing the straight man, meaning like he's always so serious in the bit that it always cracks me up that he doesn't get sarcasm. And so everything and Greg is like a funny dude. So everything Greg says, is like somewhat sarcastic or he's making a joke throughout the movie, like about the cat flushing the toilet. And then that comes back around into a longer joke. But how, you know, his character, Jack, Robert De Niro's character just doesn't get sarcasm or he, he does, but he doesn't want to engage in it. And they carry that throughout like the whole movie. And it's it's just like always so funny to me. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) I also, you know, appreciate the chemistry that uh, I think Robert De Niro and Ben Stiller have. Like, I don't know. Every time I watch it, I'm just like glued when they're both on the screen together, especially that car scene where they're talking about Puff the Magic Dragon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think like they both embrace the sort of cringe comedy where like it, the, every all their scenes together are super cringy. Like even when we are watching it, Patrick, you're like, Ugh, oh, like yeah. you can't stand to watch it because their conversations are so cringy. Like when they try to do small talk or when Greg tries to make a joke, but um, you know Jack doesn't get the joke, or when Jack's trying to like detect Greg's bullshit and he's like yeah. trying to you know be like a human lie detector yeah every single one of those scenes is like super cringy and I think that these two actors like just completely pull it off like 
it's always so funny to me. Uh, yeah, I, I I think you're absolutely right, especially because De Niro has the gravitas of being Robert De Niro, right? And so that just kind of adds to your believability on screen that any person would be like, you know, already nervous. Afraid of them. Yeah, already just like, oh, okay, yeah. But then he starts asking you questions that you wouldn't think like any sensible regular person would would bother to ask like um you know he starts interrogating like well you know because greg's just like you know the the magic dragon puff the magic dragon he's like no i don't know tell me like <laughs> and it's a, just a really it's he's a like, good interrogation he's tactic like, it's like are you a pothead fucker <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, he delivers that line so well especially the end when he's like i'm everywhere fucker <laughs> Yeah, whenever Greg like says like he's scared, he just delivers it. And, yeah, yeah, they're great together. I I think that was a comedy duo made in heaven. Oh my god, yeah. The he's like he's like can and you have to ask yourself, can you ever trust your children with another human being? The answer is no. This <laughs> <laughs> is very serious the whole time. Yeah, I like how he's like constantly one. correcting Greg, like basically saying your opinion is incorrect and. Um, and even like Pam does try to warn him in the car on the way there. She says, just cut the sarcasm. It'll be lost on my parents. Um, and I think he kind of forgets that. (laughs) Yeah. It's so, I think that's such a good part that she like warns him. And, uh, I guess Greg is such a, that's such a part of his personality Mm -hmm. is like sarcasm. And I guess kind of that um witty humor but jack is just not having it so he just they just do not mesh oh yeah geez i i feel like the the relationship between uh greg and pam is is like it, it's fleshed out throughout the movie just enough to keep me interested but um i feel like the first few times you watch it you're just like oh man this is terrible what's going on with greg like wh- the things happening to him are so unfair. They're really messed up that he keeps having all this bad luck. But for my second shot, I wanted to come to the character of Greg and how he's kind of a fuck up. Um, <laughs> a so, fuck up? A yeah, fuck there up. you Thank go. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't even realize, like you said, because I don't know how many times I watched this movie and I don't think I ever realized that she tells him, don't be as sarcastic to my parents. But he doesn't because this character is written and performed by Stiller in like a really believable way that he's somebody that doesn't really do what's in their best interest. Or if they do, they kind of like double down on their mistake rather than come clean, you know, and that is such an identifiable human being. We have all met someone like that. And um it's funny because I just my sympathy for the Greg character is kind of just like eroded over the years because I'm just like, dude, you should have just done this. And and I feel like, you know, that's kind of like a, a, a brutal thing to say. But also, I, I, I've got proof. All right. Ready? OK. So. Uh, <laughs> so. So the the MCAT. Right. Uh, the whole thing about him taking his MCATs and then like scoring in the, you know, 97th percentile and all that stuff. Um, you know, he finds out that that is something that like his, his future parents-in-law are really just Jack 
are like asking about, curious about his friends, his, his Jack's friends, right? Or, or rather his, the, the friends of the family who are like the, the, the people that his other daughter is going to marry. They all ask him about it. The male nurse thing comes up, right? And he doesn't really, you know, just say what they want to hear in that point. He's kind of like on this, like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, tell them, yeah, I took the MCAT and yeah, I want to do it. But he he just wants to like stick it to them almost. Like he, I, I get the sensation that he doesn't want to just be like, yeah, I scored in the 97th percentile and I did really awesome on it, which is a reveal that happens at the very end of the movie. He doesn't just say that. Like he would know his freaking score. <laughs> and the fact that he doesn't say that speaks to all of the trappings of the character, which is that he just doesn't want to give Jack or anybody really the satisfaction of knowing that their their judgment had any sort of validity, right? Um, that kind of culminates with the fake jinx, which is the stupidest fucking <laughs> thing you can do. Any person that's ever owned a pet will be like, you can't just like put an imposter version of the pet into their home and just be like, yeah, that'll work. Like he spray painted his tail. How do you, how do you not think that's going to like wash off or be noticed even in the slightest? And De Niro's petting the cat the whole movie. He doesn't think he's going to notice like, oh, this is definitely not jinx. Right. But he doesn't want to give anybody the satisfaction. So he just digs it the, the hole ever, ever more deeper. Um, I mean, the smoking thing, I think I already touched on. You know, he's like, okay, I, I won't smoke in front of your family because in that hilarious line delivery by Terry Polo, she's like, smoking's a sign of weakness. <laughs> he chucks the cigarettes onto the onto the roof, but he's chewing Nicorette gum like constantly. And it's like not really helping him uh, with that. It was only a matter of time before he, you know, cracked, found some cigarettes, whether they were the ones that he threw on the roof or not. And that ends up damning him even more because he accidentally sets the house on fire. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I, I feel like the Greg character just doesn't really listen. And a lot of the things that happen to him throughout the movie, I have gotten less sympathetic for him. I'm just like, eh, kind of signed your own warrant here. Like the car, the car uh, race part when he's racing with De Niro, he cares so much more about like, flooring it and speeding past the red light then that he just takes a wrong turn and uh he doesn't get to the house on time anyway so. yeah i feel like that when they were writing the script they had the basic idea of like meeting some but your significant other's parents and how for some people it goes well but for a lot of people it doesn't go well and they kind of took that basic thread and then they made a character like and put him in these extreme situations at the expense of like making him I mean he's still likable but some of the stunts and the the things that he does are so extreme and goofy that it, it makes him seem kind of dumb like you said like why doesn't he just you know avoid some of these trappings and and kind of figure out his stuff um and I think like part of it is they're trying to show you how desperate he feels to like you know, to like one impress Pam's father and try to get the cat and stuff. And he's kind of gone sort of mad or crazy because he's, you know, but, you know, at the same time, I think you're right. A big part of his character is his ego and he doesn't want to sort of let go some of that. And it's like a combination of all that, that makes a lot of the stuff he does 
not the smartest, but still pretty funny. Definitely funny. <laughs> yeah, He's I think there's going. kind of a battle of the male egos for sure between him and uh, you know his future father-in-law, uh, and even like the extended like um, Kevin, the ex-fiance, and the uh, the other family of doctors. <laughs> Uh, a lot of male egos. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. that's true. They must have gotten, you know, like when they were writing this, they were probably like, what are some dumb things we've heard guys say when they're just having like a measuring contest? <laughs> of like, oh, you do this profession versus this profession. A measuring like, contest? Yeah. <laughs> what are they measuring? <laughs> you know what they measure. You know what I'm no, talking about. <laughs> Lightsabers. I, I alluded to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um. <laughs> Yeah. So that's a really good point. I think it's true. Like when you maybe watch this movie for the first time, or even as a younger person, you're kind of like, Oh, this, you're, this great character. I feel sorry for him. But as you get older, you're kind of like, Oh, Greg needs to figure his stuff out too. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's culpable for a lot of this stuff too. Um, it's a great point. Fantastic. Um, let's move on to our third and final shots. Ashley, start with two. Um, okay. Um, well, first of all, I do just want to say a quick little factoid that I learned watching this movie, because if you rent movies on Amazon and you move your mouse, it actually plays facts and goofs throughout the entire, like that pops up on the screen. Nice. So that's fun. Um, and one that stood out to me was it said that, um, um, Owen Wilson He's, that's the right Wilson, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, brother. <laughs> that um, that most of his lines are actually improvised. So he had like this very clear idea of the character in his head and they let him just kind of like run with it. So that was very interesting to me. But because um, he's a great character. Yeah. But my, I think my third thing that kind of um, stood out to me because it made me go down this little rabbit hole on the internet was Terry Polo. I feel like she's a really great actress in this movie and much better. And maybe this is controversial, but much better than Blythe Stanner's real life daughter, Gwyneth Paltrow. (laughs) Um, And yet like such a smaller, like kind of C-list actress. Um, So I did go kind of down a little rabbit hole trying to figure out like what happened to Terry Polo. Oh wow! (laughs) But I think she's really good in this. Yeah. I think, I think she is too. I, I, I'm just like surprised, you know, like you said that you don't see her in a whole, I mean, in your rabbit hole, did you discover that she's done anything in the last few years? Yeah. So after the trilogy of this movie, um, she's mostly just been in TV. I guess she does a lot of TV and she had done a lot of TV, like leading up to this, which is maybe why I don't like see her as much. Um, But she has kind of like, she's one of those actresses that has a lot going on in their personal life. Like, bankruptcy and declared um yeah declared bankruptcy and divorce and like all these kind of things so um yeah kind of crazy but uh I would you know definitely be up for seeing her and more stuff yeah I'd love to see her in like a Kristen Wiig comedy or something like that (laughs) yeah that'd be great uh Mm -hmm. I didn't know Gwyneth Paltrow was um uh Blith Danner's uh daughter wow you learn something new every day (laughs) yeah yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think she's great in this one. Um, would definitely like to see her and in, in get more work. 
Uh, and she's she's funny in this one too. I mean, <laughs> I think her chemistry with Owen Wilson is funny. It's because, really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Considering the history between the characters and and just how. Yeah, (laughs) it's so interesting. Um, Like you said, too, that Owen Wilson had improvised a lot of what he said. I think that's hilarious because it's like, I'm just going to play like conceited jerk, but like who's really seems like sweet on the outside or but like digs at people. Like, I don't know. I feel like you said he had this very clear picture of a certain kind of guy. And he's like, okay, I'm just going to do everything I can. (laughs) It's so funny. I was going to talk a bit about. Oh, okay. In my, in my then I won't step shot. on that. But I that's really it. a really good trivia. <laughs> what is your second shot or third and third, final shot, yeah. Marissa? Jeez. Um, Tom Collins. <laughs> so I was going to say how uh, at least I don't think that this movie really drags. Like I think we might have even watched like the extended version when we watched it, but um, I think this movie, you know, you kind of follow it along in a logical perspective. Uh, way that it doesn't make the movie drag you're looking forward to each scene and each scene is funny or moves the plot along Um, and I realized I was thinking about that like what makes this comedy different from some other ones that seem to drag and I think that this one has very clear timeline plot points and it's because it centers around something that's a tried and true comedic plot which is a family coming together to celebrate a wedding and I think that's why the wedding movies work so well for comedies even though that's not the center of this movie it serves as sort of a background timeline because you need events whenever there's a wedding you know you have having to get stuff ready before the decorations and last minute stuff and that gives them an excuse to go to see the ex-boyfriend Owen, which is like a weird thing that happens, but they kind of fit it into the wedding timeline. And then, you know, they have to do the rehearsal dinner. So a bunch of stuff happens around that before and after. Um, And then they have to do, you know, like the actual day of the wedding. And I think that this plot kind of moves through this weekend in a way that makes you feel like, oh, you really are watching this family's weekend unfold. And it's very logical. And I think like a chronological timeline in this instance, like, really helps to keep it moving and going to where you never feel like it's dragging. Um, it's just sort of a fun movie where you're following along with these families kind of getting together and then meeting Greg for the first time as part of that celebration. Yeah, uh, I, I think that not only that, but whenever the story starts to get a little bit too on the emotional side, they undercut it with a joke, (laughs) which is great. Um, I thinking specifically about the scene where, um, you know, Greg gets kicked out of the house and, you know, he shares that moment with, uh, with Pam where she's like considering going after him. Jack pulls her back into the home and like, it looks like it's like something out of a uh, freaking James L. Brooks movie for a second, because you got the whole family outside and they're watching him leave and he's leaving in disgrace and then the van pulls up and is like Gaylord M. Fokker <laughs> and you're just like wait oh that's right I'm watching a comedy oh man and so I agree every time that the movie feels like it's kind of going to slow down they they do something to pick it back up yeah which is great so um for my last shot uh we have to talk about our boy the great Owen Wilson, Lightning McQueen himself. Um, I didn't know that all of his roles or all of his uh, lines here were improvised. So thanks for sharing that. But 
I could totally see it because some of the shit he says in this is just so <laughs> of a piece with, with like people that you've met in real life. I mean, anybody who's like known somebody tangentially that's like successful in business will know somebody like this, or they know somebody themselves like this, who will say things to you very regularly, like, you know, how's your portfolio? <laughs> you know, it's pretty wide. Like, oh yeah, I got in early on some IPOs and then they just skyrocketed from there. Like, you know, doing very, very subtle, like you call them barbs or jabs or digs, right? But one-upping. Also, yeah, also one-upping and like putting them. Yeah, humble brag. Humble brag, That's a good exactly, way to put yeah. It. And and it he does it so well for like five straight minutes. He's he's doing. I mean, the Rewatchables podcast has a, has a great uh, label for this, where it's Dion Waiters, right? Where he's like, in a few minutes of screen time, he scores like twenty points, has five rebounds, and like four assists. He has got a really awesome stat line because he's just like, you know all of the lines he does where he's like, he somehow even manages to get like a, a, a religious insult in, in that just like a few things called for, but he does it with like a smile on his face and he does it with like the most backhanded compliment way of being like, so it's Jesus. Jesus was a Jew too. You're in great company. And it's oh like, God. dude, that's fucked up. <laughs> but yeah, the Kevin character, I feel like, I mean, obviously in addition to the jokes around being Pam's ex fiance and how, it was quote unquote just a stupid sexual thing, which is <laughs> not what anyone's significant other wants to hear. Yeah. Um, but besides that, his whole like demeanor and everything, I feel like it's that person that you've met where like other people think that like, oh, they're such a great person and they do it. And then you meet them and there's like these little things that you're seeing that just rub you the wrong way or like give you a bad vibe. And you're like, is no one else seeing this? Is no one else hearing this? Yeah. Like, it's that kind of guy. <laughs> exactly. Very true. <laughs> you hit the nail right on the head there. And, you know, another thing that I think makes this character so indelible and so charming and interesting in spite of all that is that um, they wrote him in such a way that you, you still kind of feel bad for him. Like I think in the scene, it's a great scene. It's, it's when they're in this uh, surf and turf restaurant after Greg has redeemed himself by finding Jinx, the fake one. And um, they're all there celebrating. And then Greg and Pam are dancing um, before Jack discovers the truth. And then they, they're they just dancing and hanging out. And then, and then she goes like, oh, look at Kevin. And he's sitting there <laughs> completely alone, like a puppy dog. And I think you audibly were like, oh. <laughs> like, it, it, it's funny because, at, you know, again, it, I think the opinion of the character changes as you watch it a lot because the first time you're like, oh man, this guy's a douche. But then you watch it like a little <laughs> bit more and you realize this guy is like pitiful because he's obviously still in love with Pam. He has photos of her everywhere in his house, like to an absurd amount. He, yeah, he not, in real life, creepy. That would be very creepy. Yeah. <laughs> he not only um, offers to help with his ex fiance's wedding, but like 
does a lot of extra stuff, including hand carving a wooden altar. And For shit. her sister. Uh, I love when he, he just looks off in the distance and he's like, man, she was a tomcat or she's a real tomcat. <laughs> 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 and Ben Stiller's just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, like no response. Yeah. Oh man. Um, and then you also find out this is, I love this story beat that Jack only started to love him after they broke up, which yeah. is such an interesting thing yeah. because you're like, you're presented at it, it like, Oh, Jack and this guy got along so great. He was probably so disappointed when they broke off the engagement, but they, the twist is no, he's actually like, that's the only time they were able to finally start coming closer is when he realized, Oh, he's not a threat to my daughter anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like his, or her mom says that no one's good enough in his eyes yeah. for Pam. And so that's kind of showing that even this guy who seems to love now was not good enough. Great simultaneous character development for both Jack and Kevin. And like I said, the dude's just, I mean, Owen Wilson, man, he just it turns the charm up to like an 11 every time. That's how, that's why they kept him around for two freaking more movies, despite, you know, there would probably not be a real way to incorporate that dude in your life after that. But, it works. Works every time. Yeah. And then immediately after this came out, you got Zoolander. So another, you know, filler <laughs> Which he's also Wilson great. duo. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh, we should do Zoolander for our Z episode. We should. Great idea, Ashley. Um, so now <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to last call. last call it's where we discuss the endings of films why does this film end the way it does um does it have any significance what kind of meanings can be gleaned from it and uh when does the ending start so you know the ending of this movie it's very simple because it's it's just another joke you know it like all good comedies it, uh, you have to end on a joke the last comedy we did um game night that one was you know ending on like <laughs> a dark messed up kind of a joke you know with where you think okay they're gonna get abducted again huh um unless you count the credits which are like a whole nother joke but this movie is just uh robert de niro reviewing the footage that he caught of greg with his nanny cams and cia spy cams littered throughout the home um and he finds out that Greg did indeed flush the toilet. He he wasn't a series of, you know, unfortunate timing and bad luck. He actually did just fuck up and flush the toilet when they told him not to do that. Again, let, I don't have sympathy for this guy, right? Um, and he also, <laughs> he also like makes Kung Fu gestures at yeah. the picture of Jack. <laughs> and, and then it goes to like, you know, the camera cuts to, to Jack who's there with Jinx and he's just kind of watching it. And he's just like, like, he's a little <laughs> disturbed, you know, De Niro plays it so well. His face acting is so great. Cause he's just like kind of disturbed, but also he's just like, uh, I've man. seen worse. Yeah. Like he's not <laughs> impressed. Yeah. 
Yeah, he also reveals that his son has been smoking weed. <laughs> yes. That, that whole joke uh-huh. finally pays off. Yes. The Puff the Magic Dragon and his son. It, it's kind of wild that Denny doesn't uh, get his in this movie. I think that, I kind of think that uh, this is kind of off topic, but I kind of think that Jack probably knows that about his son, but he's not that hard on him as like he is with Pam or he he's not as overprotective, I think. Um, yeah, because I don't see something like that getting by um, him, and and he kind of I think he probably knew deep down that that was really his son's uh, pipe, but he just wanted to blame Greg. What does uh, he say? Like in the tuck shop scene, he's like Denny's like, oh yeah, I found this asthma inhaler <laughs> or something like that. A sculpture. Yeah, a sculpture. I found the sculpture in Greg, and he says in Greg's jacket, and it's like that's it's his, his jacket. jacket. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so his dad, being a former like CIA operative, has got to know that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that seems really funny. I think that's like so. Like you said, so many great comedies have kind of like a around credits or post credits like comedic scene like that i'm trying to remember what happens right before that 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 is the end yeah but like what happens just well the the parents the parents are like laying in bed and they set it up for meet the fockers because he says now we have to meet his parents yes you're you're right right. just just gotta do (laughs) one more thing meet his parents which is also really funny i bet they knew like going in that they were going to be making the sequel i don't know it came out like three years later right three or four years late four years four later. years later i think yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe they didn't know maybe they maybe they didn't know but i think that uh, i mean how do you not yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just such a great premise and mm-hmm. uh it 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 really does just kind of showcase how all the actors are are totally committed to it all in on it um i hope that you know, if we could like go back and rewrite the Academy Awards, I'd I'd probably give an award to Jinx the cat <laughs> because that cat was trained to do some pretty awesome things. Category for the pets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, some of the shots where they pan to his face, like at the very end when he's sitting on Jack's lap, or <laughs> when he's all the shots where they show up on the toilet, it always cracks me. Because <laughs> yeah, because when he comes into the toilet, he's just like, "Oh, sorry," yeah. <laughs> he apologizes to the cat. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right, though, Patrick. It's the best way to end a comedy like this is to have like another funny scene because some comedies end with like a kiss or like people going into a place like a house or something. Well, well, what do you guys think? Cause you brought up a good point. Like, did they know the sequel was coming? I think yes, because one, they have the line, right. We got to meet his parents. And two, I think that they probably just didn't want to end it on something like even wackier. They were probably just like, yeah, let's just let Ben Stiller ad lib the ending here and just like have a few weird, funny faces and noises uh, because, you know, maybe they ran out of ideas, but I don't think so because they were able to then make a whole nother two movies worth of ideas. So I bet you they were just pulling punches there, mm-hmm. um, but it's still effective because, you know, it, it, the movie ends on a, on a positive note, right. Even though it's just, <laughs> him insulting him over the camera. Yeah. He's like accepting him now. Oh, that's my son-in-law. You know, that goofy guy. Yeah. He literally says as much. And yeah, I think it puts the great character in like a more goofy light where he's been like so uptight and tightly wound, you know, 
chewing his Nicorette gum <laughs> the entire movie. And then finally just like him being goofy, like a kid in their pajamas and, and, um, you know, even Jack's face kind of relaxes when he's watching it. Like, Oh geez. You know, like he's <laughs> not as like scornful. Yeah. 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 But, point. but he's still wary. And I think that's important is that that's why he's mm-hmm. even like reviewing the footage. Cause he's just like, <laughs> I'm never going to give up my yeah. suspicion fully. And that's a perfect segue into the sequel. I think so too. Well, all right. Wow. We touched on a lot. Uh, this movie's great. Um, and I'm glad that we got to enjoy it with uh, new friends as well. Yes. Um, joining us. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, and before we end the show, I uh, wanted to give a special uh quick little shout out to our anonymous fan who wrote into the show and I believe they might be the first one since Ashley wrote into the show so it's kind of a momentous occasion so this writer anonymous says to the podcast hosts my take on the this is about the lost in translation episode just so it's clear my take on the relationship of the two main characters in the movie Bob and Charlotte, is that they use each other to navigate a difficult time in their lives for entirely different reasons. The relationship is one of many facets, paternal, romantic, platonic, and a friendship. They save each other, quote unquote. They change each other to carry on with their lives as they are, or to make difficult decisions. Just saying, (laughs) signed, Momix fan. Well, Anonymous fan, let me tell you this. You're so fucking right. That's exactly what I was trying to say <laughs> during that episode. And I couldn't agree with you more. Your opinion doesn't is doesn't mean one. it's not messed up. <laughs> <laughs> Paternalistic okay. and romantic. I mean, come on. You're but, you want to die but, on that hill? Yeah, go right ahead. But I uh I think that's a really good, beautifully written like uh message about it, though. I think that. I think that's why I was struggling with the movie so much because I'm like, what is their relationship? And I think that this person who wrote into us has put it very well that it is a mixture of a lot of things. And these people, you know, use each other. See, I'm being very cynical about they use each other. But um, (laughs) yeah, so I think that was very well written. Thank you for writing into the show. Of course. Yeah. Ashley, do you have any uh, takes on the relationship between Bob and Charlotte and Lost in Translation? I mean, I, I agree. Like my mindset when I first watched that was like, what is this a creepy thing? Like, I don't know how I feel about this, but, um, I do think that like people are complex and relationships are complex. And, um, like sometimes people kind of give and take different things from their partners. So yeah, I think, I think your writer, your, um, fan mail there is, is correct. Yeah. All right. Well, Congratulations, Momix fan. You've got the most approval rating out of anybody that's ever written onto the show. So congrats to you. Um, if you would like to write into the show and have your question read on, on the pod, uh, pod at gmail.com. That's momixpod at gmail.com. M-O-M-I-X-P-O-D at gmail.com. If you like us, follow us on our social medias at MomixPod, M-O-M-I-X-P-O-D. That's on Instagram or on Facebook for what we're going to be doing every week and a picture of the drink. 
this week's Tom Collins drinks. You can see them on Instagram. Ashley, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Uh, no, I don't. I'm in like a um, hiatus from Netflix right now. So I don't have any like shows I can even say to watch or anything. Oh, for real. That's okay. Totally fine. Sometimes it's yeah. good to go on a to go on a Netflix break, I think. <laughs> yep, yep. No, then uh if you're not gonna plug anything, totally fine. We'll just have to say until next time, until you come back on the show. Yeah, I'd love to come back. It was really fun, guys. Thank you. It's so fun having you. And it's awesome to talk to someone who has actually made these drinks before, too. <laughs> Unlike us <laughs> amateurs. Uh, and you gave us some awesome tips about the lemonade. We'll have to try that. Hey guys, Pat here editing this episode. Just wanted to let you know that we did not record the preview for next week in the episode itself, so I'm adding it here. Uh, next week we're doing an ultimate Bloody Mary. Yeah, it sounds like a Bloody Mary because it basically is, but it's got ultimate in the title. We're going to get into why it's ultimate just so that we can have an excuse to drink a you drink and the film that will be accompanying it will be Underworld 2003. That is Underworld with Kate Beckinsdale and it's going to be a fun bloody romp. All right, back to the outro. Yeah. So thanks again, Ashley, for joining us. And uh, we will see you guys all next week. And until next time.